Badass. It's Amethyst Mahoney of Spiritual Badass, and I'm so excited to welcome you today to another episode of the podcast. I would love to hear your feedback, comments, questions, or anything that comes up to you from listening. If you'd like to connect with me deeper, be sure to follow the podcast and continue to listen. And also go on over to my page on Facebook, where I share daily insights, commentaries, and downloads from the universe on how to run a multiple six-figure business just by being yourself. It is full of information for ambitious and success-minded entrepreneurs just like you, and you'll be able to connect with other incredible leaders right there on the page. I'll see you on the other side of this podcast, and remember, get clients, kick ass, and repeat. So today's guest is Carlo Parsons. Carlo ditched his lucrative career in the Silicon Valley so that he can help coaches and experts come out of their business closet, curate their experience and wisdom, find their audience, make money, and just like he is doing right now, be able to live their purpose and still take good care of those that he holds dear. Carlos is also on the advisory board for Book Yourself Solid and enjoys teaching entrepreneurs how to win clients over without the cheese and the sleaze. You can learn more by downloading his ebook, um, which is at badass.carloparsons.com. It's a free gift to all of our listeners today. And we will have that link somewhere around this podcast so that you can find it very easily and click over and get that awesome gift from him. I have uh, gotten it myself and it is awesome. So hello, Carlo, how are you? Hello, Amethyst. I am so honored to be in your presence. I am so excited for you to be here. I'm doing the voice, can you tell? <laughs> you can tell I'm happy when I talk to you like I talk to my cat. <laughs> I love that, yes. It's- Yes. It's so good to see you. So we, Carlo and I met, um, we were in a group on Facebook together and I've just been watching him tear it up over there and on Instagram and other places I am not. And I just think you are really, really great at what you do and how you approach the whole business thing. And I love the, without the cheese and the sleaze, because I always say without sounding like a 1980s used car salesman. <laughs> Amen. And I mean, you know, cheese for sure. Uh, I'm corny because I'm a dad and I like dad jokes. So not cheese in that sense, but like, you know what I mean? Like we are as coaches, we get inundated with, with uh, messages from people and emails from other coaches trying to, to sell us stuff. And it's just cheesy. Right? Yeah. It's, it's really bad. I actually, a lady stole my, my pictures recently and started using them on her profile as her. And so I messaged uh, some people and I was like, you know, hey, you know, this, this person's a scammer and a faker and she's stealing my property. And uh, a couple of them actually wrote me back and said, oh, great. Thanks for telling me I'll delete her. The next message, by the way, are you interested in losing weight? I have this great product. <laughs> That's what I mean. It's like cheese and sleaze. It's like, all right, it looks like you're checking off things on your list on how to be human and it's all compliance stuff right oh and by the way I did see your post about that and it's ridiculous how that imposter got so many followers that must have been happening over time that was that was surreal to me 
Yeah, I, I actually kind of looked it up and I think she, she, I'm using she in quotes because their, their name and their link was actually an Indian man's name, but it linked to, and this is a compliment, you guys, I'm not going to lie about this. The person who stole my photos sells skincare products and anti-aging cream. So I'm just going to say, <laughs> right, right. But, uh, but yeah, the, the, actual profile was went to Asia and my husband is in the security industry. And so we know there are a lot of Asian bot farms and things over there. So when someone pops up a new profile and has a thousand or 2000 friends the next day, um, like 90% of them came from that exact same bot farm. <laughs> oh, there you go. So yeah, it definitely, uh, was, uh, systematic. Yeah, it definitely is. So, but you get clients the right way. And I've been watching your profile grow and grow and grow. And I wanted to ask you first off, like what Silicon Valley, I had no idea. Like, what did you do and why did you leave? I mean, I could speculate on why you might've left, right? <laughs> Cause I'm sure you fit in so well there. <laughs> oh man, like a sore thumb. Uh, no, actually it was, it's funny because Silicon Valley, uh, and in general, the tech startup world, tech and design, mm -hmm. was my sanctuary. It became my sanctuary for a while, for like the last, the past decade, because I had come from pharma and then ventured out on my own, and I really couldn't find my, my space. And it took, uh, it, it took until me getting to a satellite office for a pharma, Johnson & Johnson at the time, that was a little bit more progressive than the rest of the company. Uh, it became like a tourist spot for the company. Uh, but anyways, it was in New York and I found that I could actually leverage everything that I'd learned at the time from being an event planner because that's how my, my career started into leading uh, spaces, workspaces specifically and workday experiences for employees. And I kind of just followed that trail right into California. My, uh, at that time, my fiance, now my spouse, and I moved to San Francisco and the opportunities were, were just there. And I ended up embracing that. And I loved it for a while because it actually allowed me to coach, but it also allowed me to uh, leverage some of my other skills uh, and experiences. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, my, my work in Silicon Valley really was in ops strategy and workday experience. That was, that was my forte. That was like my happy combo. And I was helping a lot of engineers and designers really make sense of their workday, a lot of adulting stuff. And then from the operational standpoint, I was working with founders and CEOs, figure out how to best run their business from an operational standpoint, uh, scaling from like five people to 150, right? That was kind of like my happy space. And then after that, uh, I think one of the bigger heartbreaks I, I was having at the time with Silicon Valley was that after I hit a certain headcount with the startup I was in, it was like they didn't know what to do with me because it was time to scale to like more stuff. And my specialty really was smaller teams. Mm -hmm. And so I kept finding myself like moving from one group to another as soon as they basically outgrew their need for somebody who can work with smaller groups. And so, yeah, I was like, well, I've been coaching people throughout, like, why not, why not follow that trail? And I yeah. did. Yeah. 
And, and that's awesome because now you can work with people all over the world, but from kind of your own space. So I, I think one of the biggest fears that a lot of coaches have is, is just like what you experienced is that you're going to work yourself out of your job because once your clients get to that success point, then, you know, what do they need you for? Kind of like, that sounds really scary to a lot of people I work with. Yeah, it's like that underlying thing, right, that sometimes people are afraid to succeed in one thing because sometimes success means outgrowing you, your customer, outgrowing their need for you because they they have surpassed what you can provide and they're ready for to invest in something bigger on a bigger scale that's just not your specialty, right? I've right. always been very niched in that way. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's why I'm like, charge more money while you can get it. No. <laughs> so, so that's kind of like the end of the business. But when you're first, when you were first starting out, what were your fears about, you know, actually kind of going for that and, and launching your coaching business? Because I know that a lot of clients have a lot of fears when, when they feel like they're on the cusp of it you know, and I get a lot of this, I'm like, oh, I'm, go I'm gonna launch, I'm gonna do that as soon as I work with someone and I'm ready. I'm gonna go get my confidence coach and my mindset mentor first. And then, and then I swear, <laughs> like, how do you kind of push past that point um, and get to that point where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm doing it. Yeah, it, I think the toughest part for me was recognize, well, there were two things. One is the fact that I had always done coaching either internally, which meant there wasn't a separate income stream, right? It was part of my salary to be able to coach internally on operations or just workday experience. Uh, and so, and, and even if I did it outside of the company, that income stream wasn't enough to say like, I, I'm going to go all in full time and leave a really lucrative, high paying job, right? <laughs> in the startup realm. And so that was one fear was just the financial stability. Will I actually be able to make enough, right? I'm so busy. I was so busy working in, in my startup jobs that I only had, I could only carve out a small amount of time per week to work on my coaching mm -hmm. and be able to take in a small amount of folks. It was hard to, it was like chicken or egg. Like, what do I do? Uh, how do I validate this? It, feels like I have to take a leap of faith in order to, to validate the, the business at, at that time. I had to like really free up my calendar. Uh, the other side to that challenge was it was worthiness in the sense of my audience at the time was pretty much startup, like tech, engineers, designers, and founders. And my passion was working with coaches, like solo entrepreneurs who are not trying to build a SaaS you know, product. And so there was this recognition in my head that, okay, I have to build a new audience for what I want to do. And it was a decision I had made and I was willing to commit to. But again, it also meant me taking the leap. So for, I think it took me a couple of years of just like thinking through this, like, where's my exit? Uh, how do I how do I figure this out? And being married to a CPA, my husband is a CPA. Uh, I can't I couldn't just say like, "Hey, love, babe, I'm I'm quitting. I we're just gonna I'm just gonna start over." So uh, heads up, right? 
I had to create a, a plan, a financial plan and a roadmap. And so it took me a while as, as well to like figure out what pieces uh, came together. So a huge part of it, I have to say was mindset, mm-hmm. but there definitely were strategic reasons why it took me a while as well. And all in all, like, it's one of those things where once you do it, it was like, oh, it was actually really simple, but like so not easy because of all the noise in your head. Yeah. So I know that you talk about um, the three mistakes that that other new coaches make that perpetually keep them on the cusp of launching um, or booking their first paying client. Is that kind of the similar things or is there even more that you have found with working with these people? Yes and no. The yes part is definitely the fact that I knew in my mind that I needed to get over some issues. And this is where it's like, you can't do brain surgery on yourself, right? Yeah. If you're, <laughs> you can't really coach yourself through some of the complexities you kind of need a partner because I was trying to do this on my own. And this, it didn't really start taking off until I started working with somebody, uh, another coach that I trusted, right? That I invested in. But because I was stuck, I started obsessing over other details about my business to feel busy. And mm-hmm. I find that even with, especially with the clients that I help, they overemphasize on their credentials and their branding, right? They mm-hmm. obsess over their website and their, oh my God. And their <laughs> logo, right? So that's one easy mistake we all probably have made at some point in our career starting out. Right. So listen, if you're listening, just stop trying to find a logo. Fuck a logo. Yeah. <laughs> You don't need it. I, you I don't need a logo. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I can't. I have. I have to tell you, I have a, a a a client that I worked with off and on for a few years. Like in some, she bought a couple of low priced offers from me, and she followed me a lot, but she didn't want to do anything about it. And I kid you not, the the day before she, when she was finally signing up for to work with me one on one. She messaged me and she said, I'm redoing my website. It's the seventh time in like three or four years. And I'm like, like, you know, this is not going to get you clients. Stop it. Stop it. Oh my God. Stop. There's so I, it's like for me from experience, it's been 98% of my leads and my clients went through that and went, went through a conversation with me. To like shake them off like the whole stop it stop obsessing over it because you can spend so much time right mm-hmm. same thing with credentials stop trying to get like another mastery certification if you haven't validated the fact that you even like running a business as a coach yeah right because yeah. you're so years on the mastery stop attacking me i have I have a PhD, two <laughs> different master's degrees, and like 17 certifications. <laughs> you are rocking it though. I mean, you were, my guess is that because of where you are now, you were validating as you were going. It wasn't like. No, it, I, th- I honestly think it was just like you said, like you spend so much time looking for something outside of yourself to give you permission to do the thing amen. that you're, you're meant to do. And it's. Amen. Yeah. And I think, and we've all been taught that the last two generations, especially go to college, get an education, that's going to fix all your problems. And I believed in that for so many years. It just, and it just didn't fix my problems. And I couldn't understand why. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the funny thing is that the 
particularly the previous generation, and I still see it happen, we reward credentials so much. We care so much about what school you went to, what you, and granted, some schools are better than others in terms of specific training, like specializations, and I respect that. But people forget that impact really matters more. My, my credo has always been, and this is something that I've taken from my last startup, Reforge, uh, is impact over credentials. Your impact matters. It's what you've actually done, not what the paper says. The piece of paper says you can do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And in, in the, the last thing I want to say about this was uh, if it's completely okay, I'm not saying don't obsess over your website or, well, actually I'm saying don't obsess over your website, but <laughs> in terms of certifications and training, at least try and make up your investment before you invest in another training, yes. right? Like validate what you've got so far, take account of what you have, see what you can leverage, see if you can make money off of it and then invest in more in you because you really got to know if you can be an entrepreneur before you commit to more training. Like some people go through two years of mastery and, and all these advanced uh, coaching training only to find that they hate being a coach or at least running a coaching business. So, you know, that's that's one easy mistake folks make for sure. Awesome. So what what else do you see people doing? The second one is people misunderstand what niche means. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a big school of thought out there that you have to keep narrowing down your niche in order to to really sell it out there. Mm -hmm. Part of that is, is true and has value, but people forget that there's your target market, there's your niche, right? And then there's your ideal client. And you could be looking at those things differently and not get trapped in the whole, I haven't narrowed down my niche, so I, I can't launch. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm guessing people say that to you. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Wow. I, I just, I, I'm still, going. I'm in my head a little bit because I'm like, I'm a bitch about a niche and, and you say niche. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it throws, it throws, I'm like, you fancy. I, I, I flip flop. Sometimes I'll say niche. If somebody says niche first, then I, I try to, to create that space for them to feel safe to say niche. And so since you're uh, a bitch for, for niche, then you will use niche. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually no, really you, on, on the. <laughs> no, you just, you just do you. You raise that pinky finger when you drink your tea. <laughs> Which, by the way, I was told, and I learned this uh, from British friends, uh, that it is the wrong way to drink tea. <laughs> that they actually don't lift their, uh, it's just some dumb American thing that we do. It's the Hollywood thing. Uh, When I moved to the U.S., like quick side note, like I grew up in the Philippines. Uh, I was 18 when I moved to the U.S. I remember like one specific period in my life, my first year in the U.S., telling myself Hollywood lied to me. There were so many things that Hollywood lied to me about American culture and life. Yeah. (laughs) It's shocking. So you don't have to look at your niche and your ideal client in a particular, like the way that most people do. Did you want to expand on, on that or yeah. what do people need to do? I find that particularly with, again, the, the people that I tend to, to attract, attract and work with is that they spend a little bit of time trying to be busy, trying to figure out their niche. It's almost like hiding behind, I have to narrow down my niche or niche. 
And I try, what I try to explain to them and has been helpful is that you can narrow down your, your niche, right? as much as you can but don't forget you have a target market you have the marketplace mm -hmm. and it's where your demographics are your niche is where your specialty is and so yes sometimes if you have a wide target you can narrow down your niche mm -hmm. but if you have a really narrow target it's okay for your niche to be not as narrow you kind of have to find the balance like this hyper focus on niche is scaring really talented and skillful coaches away from stepping up and, and validating. Because again, you can narrow down as you validate. Try and get paid first and then decide if you want to narrow down. Yeah. Like, why aren't you getting paid right now? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because I'm a big fan of like create something you can sell first. Like that, that to me is just, that's your, that's your niche, short, short answer. You know what I mean? Like, let's try this first. <laughs> and then from there, you're going to discover, is that what you want to do? Yeah. Do you even like these people? Right? Do you like working with this topic or whatever it happens to be? But yeah, I think you have a really unique approach on that. And so, um, you know, for people who want to find out more about that, you do have a free Facebook group where you do coaching and free trainings yeah. and things like that. So we will definitely put the link to that around. I'm like, <laughs> around. yeah, it's, it's there. Um, it's around the page somewhere, but, um, but yeah, so people can come over and, and hear more about that kind of thing. So what's the third thing that you find uh, that keeps uh, people the, from launching? Yes, it's the the age old uh, belief that if you build it, they will come. And it, it's kind of like an amalgam of, amalgamation of the first two and mm. everything else that you kind of pretend you're busy with, which is why you're not launching or, or getting and meeting customers uh, is yeah, it's like build it and they will come like that. It doesn't work for what we do. Yeah. You have to build it with the people you want to serve. You have to bring them into and get them to engage with you so that again it's all about validation right you have one thing you want to do you, you touched on this amethyst come up with a product see if somebody is willing to pay you for it if not that's when you pivot that's when you try to narrow down or widen mm -hmm. but you can't be in your head for like a year or two years or three years trying to say like what's the perfect product and then say like, okay, I'm going to build my website. I'm going to build a storefront. I'm even going to have an office before you get any customers. Hmm. And then you twiddle your thumbs, right? With your certificate, like your 10 certificates behind you. And you're like, why hasn't anyone come? I've put up 10 ads. No one's come. It's like, well, duh, you haven't validated it. You haven't engaged people about it. You've hmm. sold ads to people who are very, very cold leads or not even leads at all. You don't have an audience. See, I don't care how good your content is. If you don't have an audience, no one's going to listen. You can't sell your products if you don't have an audience. You have no one to sell to. Yeah. You have nobody to transform as a lead into a lead into a sale. So definitely don't build it until they come. Let them come first. Take orders. Get the little tiny notepad. Write the <laughs> order down and build it. Right.
Yeah. <laughs> that, that reminds me so much of, you know, when I first started out and I was like, I have to have my program built and up so that when I make a sell, it's there, it's available. And I did that one time. And then for the next like 12 years, I pre-sold every fucking program. <laughs> I was like, that is not even happening. And I, and I just, I don't even create new programs anymore, or at least not right now. I'm like, it's all built, go, go buy it. But, but yeah, I think like sitting around and, and first off trying to figure, trying to create something first, you know, and then sell it is bad. But then if you do try to sell something like one time, this is what I get. You tell me, does this sound familiar? Someone will come to my group and they're like, Amethyst, I've been trying and trying and trying to sell this program that I created and nobody's buying it. And I said, well, what does that mean? What does that look like exactly? Well, you know, over the past like two months, I've written three Facebook posts about it. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's a familiar story. Yes. So when you're looking at it, like what would be your suggestions of, you know, how much marketing should you do? Where should people market? I know that's all in your, your free group. And, and then of yeah. course you have that free guide that we're going to show people, but like just a little off the cusp, like if you were starting from zero right now, what would you do to just jump online and be like, here's my thing. Lowest hanging fruit is what I tell people. Find the lowest hanging fruit. Don't sell to them yet. Get them engaged with what you have to say. People, like new coaches particularly, but even like experienced coaches often feel like they have to put so much content out there, which again, part of that is valuable, but they forget that context actually matters too. Like people kind of want to know the person behind and the journey behind how you got there. And so... When I say lowest hanging fruit, it's like the people the most familiar with you are the people who can engage you on stuff, who can share the stuff that you have, right? I'm a huge proponent for organic marketing. Like don't buy out ads or like put a post out there, build that post, and then expect people to just show up. The first questions I usually ask people is, okay, that's great. You had, let's even say like 50 posts in the last month. Have you engaged anyone who's engaged in your post or are you just waiting for them to like it? Yeah. And you just say, oh, I got 10 likes. How nice. Right. Oh, they commented. And wait, did you engage them? Did you DM yeah. them to say like, thanks for the engagement. How are you? What's going on in your world? Are you taking orders? Mm -hmm. Right. You should start order taking as soon as you have an idea of what you want to do, what problem you want to solve and who you want to solve it for. And, and I think we need to, we need to step right there because this is so important. What you're talking about is you engage with people, you connect with them, you start to talk to them about your problems. You do not slide into their DMs like that one person, like I have this thing, do you want my weight loss pills? And also bitch, nobody said I was fat, even if I do need to lose a few pounds. So, <laughs> so uh, I, how- I don't think so girl, but whatever. <laughs> so how do you- how do you help people understand the difference between sliding in and helping people versus sliding in with the, the sleaze? Like, what would you tell a new person? Because I know everyone who, who listens to my stuff, everyone who identifies as a spiritual badass is like, I don't want to be that. So how, how do you help them not be that? 
Yeah, the sleaze in the cheese part comes from when people, when people who are selling something assume they know when you're ready to raise your hand. Mm. The people who organically connect don't make that assumption. They connect with you because someday they hope to earn your trust so you will raise your hand for them. It's all about allowing people, giving them the time to raise their hand for you. See, when you do your marketing, here's another thing, which is a very book yourself solid mindset. The marketing, all that things, all the things that you do for your website and that, that's marketing. That doesn't get you the clients. It just gets the, the attention. It gets the awareness. What do you do once they're aware of you? If you slide into their DMs, whether they're aware of you or not, and try to sell them something, they're going to back off. They're going to they're gonna be like, ew, right? Yeah. I don't care how altruistic you are. If somebody comes up to you and does this to your face, I don't care if you're Mother Teresa, you're likely, the likelihood, the, the likely thing that's going to happen is that you're going to back off. Mm-hmm. It's just instinct for us to back off. That's what happens when you kind, when you, when you sell, right? Slide into someone's DM and sell. What we, what I try to instill in the people that I help, whether they're clients or leads is the takeaway has always been get them to raise their hand for you. What do you need to do? Because you know your client better than I do. What do you need to do to get them to raise their hand so you can talk about what you do? How long does it take? Let's roadmap it. That's the plan. That's really good. Really good. And for anybody listening who doesn't know DMs, we're talking about direct messaging people. So that can be like Facebook Messenger. It can be Instagram messages, LinkedIn messages. Basically, anytime you're you're messaging someone (laughs) directly direct message. Thanks. I broke it down. Um, (laughs) So, okay. So one thing I want to talk about before we wrap up here is, well, first off, let's really quickly tell people about this book yourself solid thing. And then I want to talk to you about a couple other things really quick. Um, So you have this ebook called the book yourself solid cheat sheet for coaches and people can find it at badass.carloparsons.com. And of course the link will be around. Um, what is in that? Like, what are they going to learn from getting this book? Thing. It's a very short ebook that walks you through the thought process of how you can build your business and your organic marketing in a way that allows people to raise their hand for you. And it starts with, do you, do you even know who you serve? What your biggest result is your single biggest result. And do you have a red velvet rope policy for your marketing, right? Do you sell to everybody or do you focus your messaging on a specific someone that you know you can serve? And then it goes into how do you talk about what you do? How do you look at what you do in a way that allows you to segment it so that when you have certain conversations, you're only inserting the things, inserting the things that are relevant to that person that you are talking to? right? And then what's your sales cycle? What do you offer out there that allows different types of people in different stages of hand raising, right? Because not all of them are ready to pay you high ticket because of what's going on in their world. Uh, And so what allows them to get to know you a little bit better and lets them peek into your world little by little each day? What's your sales cycle? What What are the stages? Right, that allow them to have that interaction with you. 
And then it goes into self-promotion strategies. Like how do you promote yourself so you're not cheesy or sleazy? Uh, and how do you, how do you do marketing if you hate marketing or you're really uncomfortable? Yeah. That, and that's the name of your group, right? I hate marketing. I hate marketing. Yeah. <laughs> because I felt that way. I, I am a marketing, my degree is in marketing. I understand mm -hmm. that world really well, but I understand it from like how it was done in the eighties and the nineties. And it, it just doesn't catch. Nobody even watches ads anymore unless it's on YouTube and it's viral. We all have DVR and we fast forward through it. DVR is now actually just automatically fast forward to it. You don't even have to actively rewind and fast forward, right? Unless and you're in CBS well. All Access because fuck you, CBS. <laughs> They're awful. I, you're like watching Star Trek Discovery and they'll be right in the middle of a sentence and it'll be like, do you need this erectile dysfunction pill? And I'm like, no, I want to know what the Klingon said. So. See what I mean, though, with like the whole like <laughs> jumping into your face and trying to like sell you something. It's like first thing you do is like, I'm going to shut down like F you. Right. Yes. So you're so, uh, you're so cute. You're like F you. And I'm like, listen. <laughs> it's you know, it's so funny in New York. It, I was like super I, I lived like 14 years in New York and it was like so easy. And then moving to California, I've had to learn to to find the balance between being still being really assertive, mm -hmm. and then um, I guess the language in California is so is so different. Not to say that people don't curse here, but I don't. It, it's so weird that probably also because I'm a parent now, yeah, having a yes. toddler and then like watching myself around her has been like probably one of the hardest challenges in my life to not curse around her. So I'm kind yeah. of proud of myself right now. I just said F you. Yeah, I see your videos and pictures and stuff of her. She's so pretty. Um, <laughs> So, and she seems really smart too. Like the, the post and stuff you guys do, like I, I'm so glad that you are, you know, raising her to make her own decisions and, and be a really intelligent person. I can tell that from your stuff. Thank you, Thank you so much. It, that means so much because uh, yeah, even just with our, our families, right? That are used to some traditional uh, styles, particularly my mom. Uh, it's it's hard for her to try and honor our style, right? Because she she her default is her style, which yeah. is it's not bad at all. But it's it's it doesn't Filipinos are raised to be obedient. I was raised to be obedient. Yeah, I want to raise my daughter as a critical thinker. So when I hear people acknowledge that, I'm like, oh yes, thank you. Like it's not <laughs> every day. And of course, we get lazy, right? It's like sometimes I just want to say because I said so. <laughs> but I don't. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, yeah. She's lucky. So let's talk a little bit about that before we do wrap up. I'm like, okay, but before we wrap up, okay, but really before, um, <laughs> I do know you're super active around the Filipino community on clubhouse. Now I am not on clubhouse. It's an Apple thing. I don't do Apple you guys. So if you do Apple and clubhouse, Carlos, your man. Um, but that's not me. Uh, I am looking forward to Fireside. I will say, I know that Twitter just started chat that is supposed to be like Clubhouse. That seems so scary to me, unless I could get in there with like Chrissy Teigen or something. Right. But I believe it's Mark Cuban who's had Fireside in the works for about a year now. So I know Clubhouse will be coming to Android in a while and it may be out by the time you hear this podcast, if you're listening later past the launch date. But um yeah, it's, it's kind of a really interesting concept. So you're in Clubhouse. <laughs> I 
I'm going to let you talk. You're in Clubhouse. Do you want to tell us a little bit about um, what you're doing over there and then uh, some things you were talking about earlier as far as being active with the Filipino community? Because I think it's really important to, you know, get around groups of people that you are in. Um, I, I am not like really super active at all in the LGBT community. I'm bi, but I pass. So I never even mention it. Um, and I don't really have like any, I'm just some white girl, right? So I don't have any like root, like cultural roots like that. <laughs> so how is that coming up for you? And, and what's the importance of that in, you know, in business and being with people in, in your own culture like that? Yeah, it's been an interesting ride. I joined Clubhouse uh, primarily because I, I was curious, right? It had been having worked in, in startups. Uh, when it came up last year, I, I resisted it. And at some point in December, I think it was like close to New Year, another coach friend of mine, Lauren, who I, I, I love so dearly, said, there's opportunities here for coaches. We should just check it out, right? Like, and she was like, I, I can get you an invite. I was like, cool. Like, it's so funny that I, I was like, okay, fine. Because she said it, it was like, okay, I'm going to try it out. But I went in there with the intention of actually finding a community that I, or communities that I could have conversations with because my Facebook had become really business, right? Even though I was sharing a lot of, of my personal stuff on Facebook, it really was less about catching up with people and having deeper conversations with people. Uh, because I, I'm starting to like entertain a lot more conversations uh, than usual on Facebook. And so when Clubhouse came, it was like, yeah, let me try this out. So I thought of groups that I'm like, well, what group am I really curious about? And I grew up in the Philippines, right? And I've never really felt close to the Filipino community. I always was the person from the outside looking in, which I actually very much uh, credit to the fact that I am a good coach because I've always been on the outside looking in. I was able to think about how people do things. And so, yeah, I took the opportunity and check, checked out a couple of rooms, like uh, conversations, which I knew I could really contribute to around mindset and confidence. And I felt actually really strongly about the Filipino condition. Uh, again, we were raised to be obedient, to kind of be humble and meek mm -hmm. and be hospitable. Uh, and that, while those things are beautiful, uh, they also get in the way. It's a barrier for us to actually step up and own our space in the market. Yeah. Right. And so I started having these conversations uh, on Clubhouse and it, it's taken off uh, so much so that I now moderate at least three conversations a week just in the Filipino community. I moderate other conversations. Like I have one with Lauren that we, we do very regularly for coaches called coaches helping coaches. But yeah, I spent a lot of time just connecting with the Filipino community and it's been so rewarding. Uh, what I do love about Clubhouse is, it is, is that it is a validation of what I teach around organic outreach, which is if you continue to serve and, and give content and context, not just content, People will come because I, I'm getting leads left and right from Clubhouse. My highest paying client so far was from Clubhouse. And I, I don't sell at all on Clubhouse ever. Uh, and it's, it's been an amazing, interesting journey. It's only been two months, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, but I've been super grateful so far for, for the quality of the engagements that I get and how focused my conversations are 
around mindset and confidence. That's awesome. And I love your thing about content and context. I'm over here like, if you see me looking over here, it's because I'm taking notes like, oh, that's going to be a quote box. That's going to be a quote box. <laughs> what Carlos said. I also think it's is really beautiful about what you said where you were like, oh, I wasn't going to get on Clubhouse, but then Lauren invited me and I listened to her. And this, that sentence right there to me, I feel like destroys all ideas of competition right there because 5,000 people can offer you coaching or offer or tell you, you know, you should do this thing or, Hey, do it this way. And it was, it's the one person that you actually hear it. And that's the person that you want to be working with. And that's why I want to bring this podcast to, you know, the world is because I want to showcase different people who speak in different ways. Carlo and I do some similar things, but we do them very differently like extremely differently. And, um, but we, we have a lot of the same values and ideas in the, the same way we look at things. Like I tell people, if you're buying a Facebook ad and you haven't made a couple hundred thousand dollars yet, no. <laughs> it's like, just don't, just don't just go don't. there. <laughs> right? Go organic. And I don't mean like strawberries and kiwis. I mean, marketing. <laughs> so it's definitely who you hear things from. So if you did hear things from Carlo today, which I hope you did because he has an amazing group and, and lots and lots of things to share, you want to download that book, the Book Yourself Solid um, free book. We'll have the link down on this page and then go check out his Facebook group, the I Hate Marketing group. You can find him at Carlo Parsons on Facebook, just stalk him relentlessly and you will find all the places he is. <laughs> I stalk everybody relentlessly. <laughs> that's how I, I found out. So yeah, we yeah. Kind of each other. That's, that's how before this, I was like, you know, that clubhouse thing in the Filipino group. And he was looking at me like, how do you know about that? <laughs> I was like, girl, oh, she, she, she'd be right when you said she was stalking me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, to what you said, uh, I, I wanted to honor what you said around uh, the fact that we, there is abundance and we should always function from abundance. As coaches, there's opportunities for everyone because not everyone's going to be your customer and there's no reason for you to like not partner with other coaches and work together. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, going back to target market versus niche versus uh, ideal client, your target market is a marketplace, which means it's not just your customers in there. Your competition is there. And from your competition, there are collaborations waiting to happen. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly how I feel like, that's why I, I trust a lot of, of coaches that, that I look up to is because there's, there's abundance. There's plenty of work for everyone. There's no reason for you to feel like you have to compete yeah. with each other, as <laughs> even within the same niche, because it's not really the same niche. Like your mm -hmm. ideal client is gonna help this, make you distinct in, in the room. Awesome. Well, I was going to ask you for one last piece of thing, but I think you just gave it to us. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There Let you go. Yeah. yeah. And, and there really, really is. So um, thank you so much for being here today. And I'm always like, sure, it'll be like 30 minutes, whatever. Uh, I'm a liar. <laughs> I apologize to your audience. No way. Never that, apologize. That <laughs> I'm like never apologizing your business. 
<laughs> I mean, if you want to, yeah, if you want to go long, you go long. <laughs> exactly. That, that actually, that's funny that my friend Lauren says that. It's like, if I didn't want to be here, I wouldn't be here. So why are you apologizing? <laughs> you know, and one last, one last thing. And then I, then I swear, no, but one, one thing, let me yeah. just tell you, you guys. So I actually just had a little conversation with someone this morning about short attention span. And I'm like, it's total bullshit. There's no such thing as a short attention span. There's a short period of time to get people's attention, but there's, you know, after that, if you've got them, you know, just you're good. Like some of my live streams go for over an hour and they're my highest converting live streams. My posts that are like 1250 words convert the highest. Right. And, um, I have no idea where I was going with this, but there was something really cool. I was going to say, anyway, short attention spans are stupid. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder, like, where, I think you were trying to get to the fact that it's okay for, for some conversations to be longer than others. Mm. Yes. So everyone says short attention spans are a thing. And then clubhouse rooms are like 12 to 15 hours long sometimes. I'm like, Dang. are you kidding me? They could be days. The oh longest God. one I know is 22 days and it's a women, women in business, uh, group. I, they had that does not surprise me. For 22 days. Yeah. <laughs> it, that, it, it's crazy, uh, how long these conversations can go and how interested people are and are hungry. People are for real conversations, which is why it's hard to look at clubhouse as somewhere where you can just sell and do a webinar because no visuals for one. Yeah. Right. And people actually really want, um, yeah, really want to talk. Yeah. Really want connection. So go connect with Carlo. Thank you again so much for being here today. And of course, thank you for listening to the Spiritual Badass Podcast. I will be back next time with another awesome guest for you to talk more about how to be more confident in your business, how to sell without selling, and how to love marketing. Because <laughs> if you don't right now... <laughs> we totally yeah, get that exactly or just embrace it or just be okay with it being in the room like don't don't be scared of marketing right yeah, i'm not going to tell you how to feel but you could look at marketing in a different sense because uh it's not your lifeline it is just an attention grabber what you do after that is really what matters yeah, yeah. Excellent. and that's a human thing all right thanks everybody thanks for thanks watching this really honored to be here it's been so great to have you here for another episode of the spiritual badass podcast i would love to hear how this episode spoke to you and any feedback you have or just what came up for you be sure to connect with me on facebook and check out the website for more tips and trainings at www.amethystmahoney.com if you enjoyed this podcast today, be sure to leave a review and share it with one of your badass friends who wants to create an amazing multiple six-figure business that they love. And remember, get clients, kick ass, and repeat. <laughs>